Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hey, all you avid listeners out there, this is Dr. John. And if you enjoy what you're hearing on these joint podcasts with me and my fiance, Jory Rose, please know that we are offering a week-long retreat in Costa Rica in April of 2023 at one of the top resorts in the country where the body workers are next level and you will learn from myself and Jory how to be in better relationship to yourself, to your loved one, and to everyone else. This is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Please feel free to check out the podcast notes for more links, details, and info. Thanks so much, and now on with the show. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John back with the latest episode of The Evolved Caveman. And I am really excited to have with me today B and Azria Becker, authors of Becoming, where becoming is the devotion to the process of becoming who you are designed to be by radically embracing your greatest challenges as curriculum and savoring the full spectrum of life. When Benjamin, a no-nonsense businessman, and Azria, a free-spirited artist, fell madly in love, they birthed a vision for a committed partnership capable of elevating humanity. But in order to become the heart-centered impact leaders they aspire to be, they must face off with the deepest unconscious fears, threatening their mission and union. A unique hybrid of personal development, spiritual memoir, and erotic nonfiction, becoming is an intimate and uncensored exploration of psychedelics, sex, power, and purpose. Join Azria and Benjamin as they navigate the light and shadow sides of their own becoming and deliver potent wisdom and tangible strategies for your own activation. So Azria and Benjamin are the co-founding stewards of Becoming, an ecosystem designed to empower people to unlock who they were designed to be through facilitating transformational retreats and processes curating community, and sharing inspirational media. Their mission is to unite and activate an ecosystem of purpose-driven pioneers in service of creating ROI, or Ripple of Impact. So welcome, B and Azria. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing well. I think that's the longest introduction you've ever gotten. That was beautiful. I, know. <laughs> I didn't know where to break it off. Um, and, and thank you for joining me all the way from Mexico. I'm not sure where in Mexico you are, um, because I've never heard of the cities you just mentioned, but thank you for joining me. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you have good forward to the conversation. Yeah. The Wi-Fi has been pretty solid considering we're in Mexico. That's that's impressive. Yeah. So tell me, how did you come to this point in your stories of needing to write this book? I guess I wouldn't use the word need. Um, It, it, uh, we have this, this term we use the choiceless choice and uh, it's, it's kind of a paradox. It's those, those times in life where you, you don't feel like you even made a decision to do it. And then simultaneously you did. Um, but it just felt like it, it, it just wanted to happen. And shortly after we met and within a couple of weeks of meeting each other, we knew we were going to build a retreat center, write this book, launch this, this ecosystem. And, um, it just kind of wrote itself in, in, in a sense of like, it was, it was really our story. And Azria is really the, the gifted writer in this relationship. Um, but it just kind of wanted to happen, um, versus needing to happen. Yeah, we we kind of believe that when you're living who you were designed to be, when you're really tapped into the the current of that, it's like there's information coming through and it's our job to get out of the way and listen to whatever that is. And so when we met, this book 
revealed itself and made itself very present that it wanted to be birthed. I had known for a while that I wanted to write a book. Um, I had been already kind of starting to collect various ideas of what that could be. And, but I was, I didn't think that would happen anytime soon. And then when I met Benjamin, he, he read some of the things I had written and he was like, out of all the things you're doing, I think your writing is the strongest skill you have. And I would focus, I would go all in on that. I would focus all my energy on that. And that was within, you know, maybe the first week of meeting. Uh, and then within a couple of weeks after that, it became evident that it wanted to be a shared, a shared book. Uh, a shared voice, a, ser- a shared message, and that our union and our romantic connection was also going to be the lifeblood that would fuel it into existence much more rapidly than I originally anticipated. That's fantastic. What a great story. And I love that phrase, be of choiceless choice. Uh, that makes immediate sense to me. And I'm, you throw out paradox and it's like, dude, it's 10 in the morning, like slow down. You're jumping into the deep end really fast. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of paradox just in terms of, I, I think we are walking paradoxes, walking contradictions. And I, I think that a lot of our psyche can be encapsulated in par- paradox. So for instance, um, I don't think we can fully be ourselves in marriage and relax into marriage or relationship without the awareness of a daily possibility of divorce or breakup. I think that we can more easily relax into life and enjoy life and be productive if we are comfortable with the idea of death, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. So what do you guys mean by who you were designed to be? Well, I mean, that that's a way of describing purpose, I guess, in, in a maybe more of an esoteric way, because when you contemplate that question, you know, you have to contemplate, well, if I was designed to be someone, then who, who and what designed me? Um, and so, you know, regardless of whether you have a spiritual perspective on life or whether you are really more rooted in sort of just straight science and hard facts, our DNA is encoded with information, right? We know that. So we know our genetic material informs how we look, how we show up in the world, certain behavioral patterns. Epigenetics is showing us more and more that that's actually affecting us, that our DNA affects us on a psychological and emotional level in ways that we previously didn't understand. Yeah, and a transgenerational level. And a transgenerational level. So the way we talk about it in the book is if you're not comfortable with the idea of maybe, you know, anything beyond this life or anything beyond the, the, the five senses, if that, if, if you're not a spiritual person, you can still contemplate this notion of having been designed for a specific thing by thinking about your, your lineage, your DNA lineage, your ancestry, and all the various experiences and patterns and imprints and instructions that were sort of passed through just in your genetic material, which are all collectively informing your journey today as a human being, and also why you're here and what you're here to do with the life that you were given. And so I think that's, we really sat a lot with that because we didn't want to write a book that was only for people who believed in a particular type of spirituality or saw the world through a particular lens. Um, and so it really kind of works both ways. At the end of the day, you know, for those for, for those people who do believe in something, you know, let's call it just bigger than themselves, um, maybe an intelligent universe or life as an intelligent force that uh, isn't just random and chaotic, but actually has order to it. Uh, I think then seeing the, the imprints you know, the, the DNA is a manifestation then of a spiritual force, if you will, but it still has to manifest somehow 
in this physical dimension, right? Somehow those instructions right. still have to be communicated. So, um, so there's not really to me that huge of a difference and it's actually irrelevant how you look at it. But I think just thinking about, okay, I came, I'm here in this life for a reason. And I have to, part of my journey, part of the scavenger hunt that I'm on as a human being is to actually discover what that is. And that's fun. I mean, it can feel like a lot of pressure, but it can also be really fun. Yeah. I love the idea of scavenger hunt because I like to think of life as a game, as a good mm -hmm. metaphor. Um, mm -hmm. So let me ask you this, because I, I just interviewed Ellen McCormick, who is a former Catholic nun. And we had this amazing conversation about religion and spirituality, ranging from quantum physics to, you know, God is the old man sitting on a throne in the clouds. <laughs> um, and everyone I mean, went Buddhism, Judaism, Catholicism, like I, it was it was pretty all encapsulating. What do you guys believe in terms of in something bigger than self? Yeah. I mean, that's a big question. Uh, I think <laughs> I'll, I'll, and I'll just answer it personally because, you know, there's nuances there. Um, I guess the way I think about it, again, going back to this paradox, but um, I, when I think of spirit, I, I think of that, that pure essence that's inside of us. I think that you know, I have a, a bias that we have this tendency to um, give power to something outside of ourselves or assume that we are separate than spirit. Mm -hmm. And so for me, spirit is everywhere. And the, the benevolent intelligence of, of life is, is everywhere. And it's not outside of me. And often for me, my spiritual path is really learning to go inward in a deeper way. And so when I want to tap into spirit, um, I try and go inward to that pure part of me that is a part of everything in this universe. And so that's the way I relate to it. Um, and I think that, you know, there's, there's often that misconception in, in our collective um, that, it, that it is outside of us. Um, and so I think that that's been my journey is to go inward. So it sounds like yeah. you have a little Rastafarianism in you. Maybe, maybe yeah. they, you, they, you would agree with that, or they would agree with you that God is within, and and I, I agree that it's. But he's God, also he's God also is, is within and without. Yeah, exactly it permeates exactly. all things. I'm sorry, Azria. Azria. No, no, I was going to say we talked about paradox already, and I would bring it back to that. Like, there's this notion, you know, one of the things that I've received a lot in my spiritual one of my main spiritual practices, which has been working with plant medicines and sacred ceremony environments. Um, and one of the, one of the messages that I've received in that space fairly often has been there's further to go and nowhere to get like hmm. that in and of itself is the paradox, right? Like we are here to evolve. I mean, that is, I think the purpose of being alive at the end of the day and not, and not just to evolve physically and mentally and financially, but to evolve spiritually and on a soul level. Um, and certainly emotionally, that's one of the biggest, I think, opportunities for evolution that we have as a species right now. Um, and so we are- wait, wait, wait. So, so I'm sorry to interrupt. So you're saying we shouldn't be stuck in anger and fear? <laughs> <laughs> well- But so I... <laughs> many of us are there. I, I don't know. It's so comfortable. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, especially. yeah. That's a that's a rabbit hole. Um, no, we can talk about that <laughs> after. But I guess just to kind of like finish my my point. So on the one hand, we're, we're driven to evolve, and so there's that like there's further to go energy, right? And then on the other hand, there's nowhere to get. Like everything we're looking for already exists right here, right now, in our breath, in the present moment, in our ability to see the beauty and the perfection and the divine of everything that just is. 
um, including our anger and our rage and the feelings that we haven't had a chance to mm-hmm. process yet. Uh, to me, all of that is actually sacred. It's just that our our perspective it on it is that there's parts of it that are sacred and parts of it that are profane. And if, if, if only we can be the quote unquote good girl or the good boy and we can, you know, do the right thing and we can get to the finish line, like then we'll somehow live in this other place. And that's sort of the ultimate illusion that I think we have to shatter is that uh, happiness exists over there in a future moment. So do me a favor, go back and repeat the paradox that you mentioned earlier, because I think mm. that's really important and I don't want to just gloss over it. And I think you stated it beautifully. There's further to go and nowhere to get. That's, hold on, I have to write that down. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, it's one of the essential paradoxes where people are like, so many people that I meet in this day and age, especially in my area, are just pushing to go somewhere, to get somewhere, to make more money, to be more, do more, have a better title. And, and I think that's eloquently put of yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's true and it's not true at the same time. And I think paradox is really difficult for a lot of people to absorb and sit with. I think also there's a, there's a maturation that happens in on our journey. And so there's this energy, we use archetypes, but there's this energy of, of seeking that is, that is very, we, we, sometimes we think about it in a negative connotation of like, as we just framed it as like, there's something outside of myself or some future moment that is going to be happiness. But we don't also demonize seeking. Um, it, it's part of the evolution, but it, it, it's kind of interesting in that it's it's the beginning of the journey. Um, but the the end of the journey is, is in that moment when you realize there's nowhere to get to. But you can't just snap your fingers and get to that place. And certainly that's a lifetime of practice to, to, to try and get to that place. It's not a place where you end up. It's a, it's a practice, but this, this energy of seeking is also part of the journey. I think we all start by seeking something, uh, some, some future moment. Right. And then, and then the work is really getting in the practice of realizing that it's all here in this present moment. Um, and that's a practice and, and not one that's easily mastered. Yeah. I'm still working on that one. So are we. Um, I think we all are. <laughs> Damn humanity. Um, okay, so let me ask you this, because I just saw that Vic Straker is doing a purpose in work class out of University of Michigan. And he's one of the top purpose people out there, um, in my opinion. You were talking about who you were designed to be, and that kind of speaks to purpose. And so where do you start with, I have no purpose, now what? And I, and I think there's purpose in your personal life and purpose at work, which ideally they dovetail, but not necessarily. For sure. I think, you know, first and foremost, your purpose is to to be alive, right? Like you're, you already have purpose just by simply existing on this planet, even though a lot of times that's not how we're programmed to define success, you know, like drawing breath. Is can, I, can I pause enough. you there? Sure. So what... How does that fit in with self-worth? Because self-worth is a big problem that I see and it it taps right into what you're saying. Yeah. I think self-worth is in some ways innate and in some ways, like, well, it's not in some ways innate. It is innate. I believe that we are all innately worthy, but I think our perception of our self-worth is often very distorted. And I think a big reason for that is the way in which the paradigm of success that we've been conditioned to buy into as we grow up and learn 
like we create an, a sense of self as we grow up, right? We create a sense of identity. And our identity is validated in our current cultures predominantly through the things that we achieve or accomplish externally. And the more we achieve and accomplish externally, the more our identity feels validated externally. And that feels good, right? But that in and of itself is actually a flawed model because the tools to find the innate self-worth with nothing, with not needing to perform or needing to get the you know perfect grade or win the dance competition or whatever the thing is that you know most kids and young adults could do on a daily basis without ever questioning it. Um, we've never been given the tools to actually cultivate that internally. And so really it's it's not that we don't have self-worth, it's just that we don't know how to access it. We haven't created the circumstances for us to remember our innate self-worth, our baseline self-worth that begins with us just drawing breath, with us just opening our eyes in the morning. Um, I think that's a huge missing puzzle piece in our culture and also in our education systems is that we don't place value on creating a relationship with self that is truly healthy foundationally beyond what it is that we can do or perform or prove. that's one of the biggest core wounds I think we 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 have, especially in our yeah. more progressive societies, where so much of success is defined by, you know, bigger, better, faster, more, basically. Damn. Azria, you're I B, I mean this with great respect and love, but I see why you made her write the book or, or you <laughs> suggested she be the writer. Very, very well, well put. I'm I'm really impressed. Um, so I, sorry, I took you off track because I just wanted to make that point or I wanted you to make that point of self-worth being innate. And I believe that every one of the 8 billion of us on this planet are inherently worthy simply by virtue of the fact of being born and taking breath. Mm-hmm. And we we do lose that in this pursuit of success and wealth and power. Um, and so I'm often trying to convince people of that who aren't successful, wealthy and powerful. Mm-hmm that you still have worth simply because you're here. So sorry, I took you off track with that. And we were on purpose. I apologize. No, no, you're, you're good. Did you want to say something? Well, I just did. When you said that, it kind of clicked for me. It's you said, I try and convince people. And I don't know that that's how you get to that feeling of, of, of it. And so for us, you know, we do a lot of work with plant medicines. There's a lot of modalities but it's how can you tap into that feeling, right? It's it's a feeling of self-worth. And I, remember. I don't think it's an intellectual pursuit. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. No, and as soon as I said that, I was like, that's yeah, probably not the best way to put that. But yeah, <laughs> your point's well taken. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that is... There is a component, though, of seeing someone else model something, you know, like having a reference point. Most people don't have parents who feel innately self-worthy. And so therefore they don't have, they don't, there's nothing externally that's mirroring back to them. Like this is another way that you can feel good about yourself. Um, And so that is part of the reason why we wrote the book and why it felt important to write the book was because we wanted to create a reference point, not of here's an example of a, you know, perfectly whole human being, but here's, an example of of two people who have chosen to radically commit to remembering their own self-worth and have radically committed to doing whatever it takes to land in that place of knowing that without questioning it 
day to day. Um, and I do believe that we can, maybe we never reach the finish line, but we can stabilize in a certain way of being a default setting way of looking at ourselves and reality. And so the book is really a journey of us going on that, you know, that quest in a way of like, okay, we, we've, we've tasted it. We've tasted what it feels like to know that so wholeheartedly that there's nowhere to get other than right here that I have everything I need, that I'm completely taken care of, that all the resources that I think I need externally are actually fully generated internally first. Um, and that life has my back, like that I can trust life to hold me and that life wants me to live the best version of myself and is going to put me in circumstances beyond my logical mind that are going to allow me to mm. have the most, you know, profound expression of my journey. All of those things, right? You can taste a glimpse of in a peak state or an extended state of awareness or in a retreat or in a yoga meditation, whatever. But then to come and bring that back into your regular life and actually live that on a day-to-day -day basis is a whole nother thing. So that's ultimately, I think, a big part of our why is we wanted to share our journey of committing to that path. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. And, and as you're talking, my mind's exploding and it, it goes to um, Jared Clifton's research. I, my background's more science-based and research-based and progressively I'm getting more spirituality. But I'm open to the cross-pollination, right? Yeah. And, and I think when I was you know, 20, 30 years ago, I was not as much. Now I'm much more so. So I'm, I'm trying to make sense of this and kind of fit pieces together. But Jer Clifton, who's at UPenn and has done this amazing research on primal world beliefs. And you were saying your phrase was, the universe has your back. And I was like, ah, oh, that's, you know, I can relax into that. That's beautiful. And Jer has these 26 primal world beliefs that we believe about the world at large. And the first one, the umbrella one is the world. To what extent do you believe the world is good versus bad? And then one of those subcategories is to what extent do you see the world as safe versus dangerous? And so you're kind of on the far end of that saying the world is good, the world is safe. And then there's so many other people that struggle with that, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I could share my story uh, around that. So uh, one thing I've, I've been able to excavate in this work, um, on, in my own personal development work, um, is is really that fact. And so if you would have asked me for my entire life, did, did you feel safe in the world? I would have said yes. And I didn't understand until I started working with these plant medicines that I really didn't feel safe. And I didn't understand why. And uh, there was insecurities and fears there were that I didn't understand were tied to not feeling safe in the world. And through this work with these plant medicines, I was able to excavate that as a child, um, I I... I I, re I was really had a trauma there and it was, I really couldn't read. I had severe dyslexia and ADHD as a kid. And back then they didn't have those fancy terms for it, right? You're just a dumb kid in the corner. But when I would leave the safety and comfort of my home and go out into the universe, which was school at that time, I, I didn't feel safe. And so outside of my nucleus, um, I just didn't feel safe. And so that didn't allow me to live with purpose. It didn't allow me to be of service. Um, it didn't allow me to show up in the way that I intellectually wanted to. Uh, and it wasn't until I worked with plant medicines that allowed me to feel those feelings I had been suppressing. What it what, what plant medicine does often is it helps you feel the feelings that you don't want to feel. And so uh, a lot of times in ceremony work, you have very difficult experiences. And what's happening is, is uh, the medicine is allowing, um, and I, I use the term medicine in, in reference to psychedelics, but it's allowing 
feelings that you've been suppressing or, or avoiding or didn't even know were there to come to the surface so you can actually feel them and release them and transmute them. And so um, that's what's allowed me to start to feel safe in the world. And paradoxically, uh, it's also what's allowed me to be of service because I spent most of my life kind of in this energy of mine hoarding, you know, I want the biggest piece of the pie kind of energy, right? A typical entrepreneur, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue and more, 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 more for me kind of energy. And that was coming from a wounded child that didn't feel safe in the world. And so the more things, you know, there was no amount of things or external validation that was going to satiate that internal wounded little child. And so through this work, I've been able to excavate that to being able to process it and actually step into real service and real purpose because I, I now understand that. And so I've gone on, a, on that journey from an extreme, you know, you just said that we're on one extreme. I started on, on the polar opposite extreme. Yeah, um, me as well. Yeah. And, and it makes me think of, you know, you're putting on armor back in the day, right? Like you're getting more, more shit, more money, <laughs> yeah. more adulation, more, you know, compliments. But I, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think that's where a lot of men get stuck. And my work tends to focus on men. Um, and so you guys have mentioned plant medicine a few times, and I've done some work with clients with psilocybin and MDMA on you know different issues. I'm guessing yours goes a little bit more into psilocybin ayahuasca. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, we we um, we 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 mostly work with psilocybin and ayahuasca. Those are our our teachers. Uh, I have a, a personal bias towards uh, ayahuasca. I feel like I have a a strong ego and a and a stubbornness in me. And ayahuasca is just a, a lot more powerful and and has allowed me. It's the it's the one medicine that's just kind of allowed me to really go beyond my conscious mind. You know, it, it helps me get into, we, we like to say in that area of everything you didn't know you wanted. Um, mm -hmm. And so sometimes it takes you in a direction that you think you, you would, your conscious mind would say, don't go there, but it allows you to really excavate and work on, on the, that deeper, those deeper subjects. Uh, and so for me, it's been ayahuasca, but we use those. Psilocybin's a, a really powerful medicine. It's also a nice starting point in the psychedelic world. Um, yeah, but the, those are the medicines we've used and have been really powerful for us. And there's a, just to kind of just, just differentiate, there's, you know, our personal work and then there's also the work that we offer in the world. And um, we really believe that plant medicine or psychedelics in isolation are not the answer. Uh, it really, it, it is a holistic lifestyle change that has to accompany any kind of peak state, expanded state of awareness, you know, uh, experience. Otherwise, it's just, otherwise it's just, Hedonism. Hedonism or more <laughs> can just create more confusion even, you know, yeah. because it's like you are opening up Pandora's box when you go into these realms, you're opening up the door to your subconscious in a significant way. And that can be blissful and ecstatic, or it could be deeply, deeply painful. But regardless, really, of whether it's either on either side of that spectrum, it is going to fundamentally change the way that you relate to yourself and to life and to be held in a container that can hold, that can really support your process beyond the experience we think is crucial. And so when, when, when we work with medicines with people, it's actually very rarely and always within the context of a larger, you know, program. And then also there's so much work that can be done without 
needing to ingest anything, right? Like there's so much transformation that can happen um, through a whole plethora of incredible tools that don't require you to get on a plane and fly somewhere and, and do a really radical journey. Um, so yeah, we really believe in, in a more holistic approach when it comes to that. So I, I don't have, thank you for that. I, I don't have a, a great segue, but there's a couple other questions that I want to get to. So if this sure. feels abrupt, it is. Um, <laughs> you, you have a, a phrase in your book, which caught my attention and it's unfuckwithable. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be unfuckwithable? Well, it's funny because I think you're, you would initially think that to be unfuckwithable means like nothing gets to you, right? You have a thick skin, you're super resilient. Like someone can say something that should piss you off, but you just like... Yeah, that's what I wanted it... in middle school. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like it, you just let it slide right off you. And I think that was a huge goal of mine also in, in middle school was to feel less, to feel... Yeah to be less sensitive to what other people thought of me. Oh my God, I knew I liked you. (laughs) Yeah, I was as a very empathic creature, which I was, it was really difficult for me because I internalized other people's experiences Mm -hmm. really radically. And I think most kids actually do. You Mm -hmm. know, we get desensitized as a protection mechanism, but um, ultimately we're actually quite, we're actually quite, quite, quite connected to what other people think and feel. And that can be really challenging and painful when you don't know how to navigate it. So can I insert something in there real quick? Because one of the things I agree with you, absolutely. And I've worked with men for, I don't know, 20 years or so. I used to think I was the only man, and this was back 30 plus years. I used to think I was the only man that felt things deeply. Mm. And in working with men for many years, 95, 98% of them are all, they all agree. Yeah, I'm the same way. We've all got the mask on. We're trying to hide it. Yeah. But I, I couldn't believe it, the percentage of them that were like, no, I feel things deeply too. I was like, wow. Yeah. Sorry, just a tangent. No, for sure. I mean, Benjamin, his his I'm super sensitive, sensitivity yeah. is maybe, oh, I know. you'd I, never I, know I, looking at him. <laughs> he wouldn't be here talking about this stuff if he weren't. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I love that about you, B. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember what I was saying. So, so I think, unfuckwithable. I think, I, I, oh, unfuckwithable. Yes. Yeah. But I, so I was going to say, but what it actually means. So, so you think that it means not, not giving a shit, but really it's actually allowing yourself to feel fully, but not to create attachment or resistance to the feeling that you're feeling, but to actually just let the feeling happen. Oh, that's and, a tough one. And through allowing the feeling to happen through actually embracing the feeling through not resisting or wishing it was different, that's what makes you unfuckwithable. That's the quality that makes you unfuckwithable. Yeah, the, the yeah, suffering I, comes from being in resistance yeah. to the thing. And so the resistance is what's causing the suffering. If there's no resistance and you're like, okay, this is coming up. Um, it's difficult. I'm feeling it. But if, if there's a real embracing of that um, feeling that most people would try and avoid... Um, then that's where you you become unfuckwithable because anything that's thrown at you, you can receive it, you can feel it, and it allows to flow through you. You it, it doesn't mean that you're um, you know a steel you know uh, a scarecrow, right? That that, that those feelings come up, they feel, you feel them, and then you can release them, and so you're not holding on to there's, there's those resistance. Yeah, I, really well put. Um, it makes me think of Buddhism: two darts, first dart pain, second dart suffering. You know, pain mm-hmm. inevitable, <laughs> suffering is optional. Yeah. I also like the uh, saying from mindfulness of allow whatever's arising to arise without judgment. And that without judgment piece is a real bitch. 
Oh yeah. And, and, you know, I think that I'm still working on that at times. Uh, I've come a long ways, but it's still difficult at times as a man to get depressed and not feel shame about being depressed, for example, to not have some resistance to the depression or anxiety or those more feminine emotions, if you will. Um, yeah. If you take ahead, it to B, an extreme, if you take it to an extreme, there's a book that we we love called Existential Kink. And the premise of the book is, is that at a subconscious level, those things that you say you don't want are actually a turn on to you. And, uh, and so you could, you know, if you take it to the next level, it's actually like, is is being open to the idea of that feeling that you say you don't want at a subconscious level, there's a part of you that actually wants it. Um, and so that's taking it to like even in a more extreme level, which allows you to, when you look at it, when you start to look at it that way, you become really curious about those things you say you don't want, about those feelings that you say you don't want to feel. Uh, and that curiosity changes your relationship to those things in a big way. Yeah, it's really, it's an incredibly powerful way. It's like, it goes from you know, acceptance or non-resistance, which is more of a neutral energy to actually embracing the trigger, call it, right? We, we have this saying, the five T's, trust the triggers to teach. And then from that, it evolves into like, okay, I'm, I'm embracing it because I actually believe that there's a reason this is happening. There's a reason I'm feeling this uncomfortable sensation. It has something to teach me. What is that thing? And so when you become really curious about why this is showing up and what the gift contained within it is that really helps you release your resistance to it even more so. And then what Benjamin's saying is like the step beyond that is how am I actually finding pleasure in this uncomfortable sensation? What part of me is getting off on it? Um, and so there's kind of like gradients, I would say, like there's there's a ladder there that you can start to work with as you become more accustomed with your internal landscape and really understand your triggers more deeply. Um, and that's when we we call this the dimension that exists beyond problems. It's really this mindset or this way of looking at life where every perceived problem is just an opportunity waiting to be revealed. It's it's a gift wrapped in thorns. And that's really when you've unlocked kind of like, that's like the cheat code to life in a way, because now nothing can fuck with you anymore. It's all a gift. Right. And, and I think you touched on one of like the key to the lock there, which is curiosity. Yes. If you can tap into enough curiosity and cultivate that, then I think you could, we can get really curious about all these reactions, deep, shallow, subconscious, whatever they are. And I, I love the way you put it of looking for kind of the lesson in those triggers. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate that. Thank you. So the other question, well, there's many questions, but one is, so you, you mentioned the difference between just taking psychedelics kind of arbitrarily for pleasure and kind of what you do, which I'm assuming there's some, you mentioned it's holistic, but to get more granular to what, extent do you have ritual around the plant medicine in order to impact the client's journey and learning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it would surprise a lot of people that you can you can ingest a, a, a psychedelic or a medicine um, recreationally and you can ingest the medicine in a ceremonial context and have a completely different experience. And mm-hmm. um, until you kind of have that experience, it's it's really a foreign concept. Um, but I guess I just want to start by saying that you know in our work, um, we we when when we use um, psychedelics in a in in a, in a facilitation facilitated way, 
we we view that as the starting point, the ceremony, the med. A lot of times, people think I'm going to go take this magic pill, right? And then it's the this placebo or this panacea, right? That it's going to solve all the problems. But the truth is, that's just the starting point, and um, the real work is is after. And so we in our programs we have sorry extensive... be after after the after the ceremony the trip, so to speak. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, and the integration uh, is really where the work starts. And so we like to differentiate. We we like to say that often the medicine does one of two things. And so let's say you're you're calling in a romantic partnership or you're calling in, you're, you're wanting to have more prosperity in your life. And you know, you're wanting to unlock why that's not showing up in your life for some reason. So pardon me, is this an intention set prior to, correct? Yeah. So I'm just, I'm saying hypothetically, if I had these, these right. intentions, uh, we like to say that often the medicine will take you into one of two directions. Sometimes it'll show you uh, the most blissful romantic relationship or the most uh, insane amount of abundance, right? Um, and well, often our perspective of that is the medicine is giving you a reference point. So when you come back to your reality, you now have a felt, a real life felt experience of what that felt like, what it is to love, what it is to be prosperous, what it is to feel abundant in your heart. And then sometimes the medicine takes you in the complete opposite direction. The medicine will show you complete destitution. You're alone by yourself on another planet. Um, and what it's doing, it's bringing to the surface feelings, right? Um, that you've been suppressing. Those feelings are there. It's just bringing them to the surface so you can actually feel them and transmute them. And so in these, when you use the word ritual, but these ceremonial experiences, when you go deep into these realms, uh, those are often the the two kind of directions that that you're taken, and so it's really important to have support when you come out of these experiences because some of them can be difficult. And if you don't have the tools to understand them or uh, support, it can be very confusing and disorienting. And so sometimes a lot of people will say, "I had a bad experience or a bad trip." Uh, from our perspective, often what's happening is is those feelings that you've been suppressing, which were just unlocked and allowed to come to the surface, so you can actually release them. And that terrible, bad experience was actually really beautiful um, because it's allowing you to actually move forward uh, and release this this baggage that you've been carrying around your entire life. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the idea that the the biggest nuggets of gold, the most the greatest treasure in terms of psychological or spiritual growth often lie in those most challenging experiences or trips. Yeah. Yeah. They're the biggest gifts. Yeah. And I think just to clarify, like Benjamin, you know, is, is giving you two extremes of like, the, this is, you know, it's sort of like it can go really into the quote unquote positive or really into the quote unquote mm. negative. And then there's everything in between, right? There's, sure. there's, there's the really confusing experience that made no sense until six months later, all of a sudden you have a, an aha moment and you realize like why that needed to occur. Or there's the experience where you don't really feel the medicine. You know, you, 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 you go on this journey, you really want to have this huge epiphany and you end up not really feeling it and feeling really disappointed. Well, maybe those feelings of disappointment or of expectation that didn't get met, didn't get met properly the way you thought it should was actually the medicine you came for, right? So it's like, you have to understand that the way the medicine works is very mysterious. And there's no one, there's no one person, no one shaman, no one healer that I think really truly understands what's happening in your psychology and your consciousness when you step into that space. And that's also part of the paradox is like, 
the space can be well held. It can be well facilitated. You can be cared for. But at the end of the day, no one can really tell you what exactly is going to happen or where you're going to go. And you have to be willing to go into that unknown place and surrender into that place fully. And, and if you're not ready for that, then working in, with these modalities probably isn't the right time or the right fit because it's a, it's a risk to the, to the identity, to the, to the ego, to the part of us that wants to know, that wants to control. And all of that's going to have to sort of be, you know, surrendered in order for you to be able to have this type of experience. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like the idea that interpreting someone's medicinal experience, let's say, is a lot like dream interpretation, where I can offer interpretations, the best interpretations I can come up with, the most constructive ones, but it's the person that has the experience that has to say, wow, that really resonates with me, or nah, I don't feel that. Yeah. I think also dreams are a good uh, metaphor for some of the medicine work. A lot of times in dreams, you have a very challenging dream. Let's say somebody's chasing you, you're, somebody's trying to kill you. Um, a lot of times, uh, I think Michael Singer talks about this. It's 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 your body's way of because your conscious mind is never going to allow you to feel these feelings, but those feelings are in you. The, that fear is in you, and so this hypothetical dream that's happening is your body's way of bringing it to the surface so that you can actually feel it and release it. And so it's it's your body's way of purging. When you're sleeping, your brain actually shrinks to 65% of its normal size. And like a sponge, it, it squeezes out all these toxins, these neuro um, toxins that are happening throughout the day. And it, it's a purge. And so I think, I think it's a good metaphor for us to the psychedelic experience. A lot of times you, you have experiences you can't understand. As Azri was saying, it's, it's just a big mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, and a lot of times there's no understanding it. But it's your it's it's your body's way. The dreaming is your body's way of of bringing these things to the surface and feeling them. And this medicine work is is a, maybe a more extreme version of the same thing. Yeah. No, I think there's some pretty close parallels there. I agree. Um, so you've talked about different modalities that you work with, and one of the modalities you've mentioned, not in this interview but prior, is sex. So how has sex in general been medicine for you on your journey? Mm. And I'm assuming there's a spiritual element to that. Always. For sure. I mean, to us, it's there's no separation between spirituality and sexuality, really. It's they're they're extensions of each other. So um when when you're merging your physical body with another person, you're also merging your energy body, your emotional body, your mental body, your spiritual body. Like it's all it's all merging into one thing. So um I think there is a common belief that they are very separate. And certainly there are expressions of sexuality that can feel very disconnected from, you know, the more spiritual side of things. But for us, I think for me specifically, I'll speak for myself. Being in my body has been a challenge most of my life. I would say that I came into this life just again, talking about who you, who you are designed to be. I was generally designed to be someone who's very connected to the emotional realm, to the mental realm, um, to the subtle, just energetic realms, right? Like I talk about in the book where I have a very vivid memory of being a young child and spending all day hanging out with... Um, the 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 grasses and the weeds and the daisies. Uh, and then later that afternoon, watching the gardener come and with the lawnmower decapitate all of my friends and going through mm. like a hysterical breakdown process. That's the level of sensitivity I'm talking about. Not super functional in the world, you know, when you when you feel things that deeply. Yes. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> but but so because there was such a sensitivity, especially especially as a child, 
um, in, in these subtle realms, I think being in the physical realm, being physically embodied was a challenge for me and uh, translated in a lot of different ways. And so sexuality is a very physical act ultimately, right? I think you can access very, very profound, expanded spiritual states through the body, but that's a different access point. Um, it's kind of like, if you think of going up and out with your consciousness, which is like what a lot of meditation would teach you to do, transcending the body, transcending the feelings, transcending the emotions, the, the thoughts, the, the, um, the clouds, right. Passing through, yeah. um, and going, going beyond that, that's a transcendent model of spirituality. And then there's like the embodied model of spirituality where you're actually going down and in, you're sinking so deeply into the sensation that it becomes a portal into an expanded state of awareness. And to me, that's what sex is. It's, it's a very sensory experience, but if I can get out of the way enough and I can give the steering wheel to my body and I can let it take me on a journey, um, or really give the steering wheel to my lover who's taking my body through a journey. <laughs> uh, You're welcome. Then <laughs> I can <laughs> I can have I can come out of that experience similar to what I might feel if I did a breathwork session or if I did a meditation session or where I'm really just like there's no more thoughts at all. I'm just completely in this altered state. And so to me, that's where sex becomes a medicine. Um, and it's a, 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 really a tantric approach, right? It's like the, the approach of welcoming all sensations, whether they're painful or they're super delightful on that whole spectrum, but welcoming them so, so fully and without resistance yet again, um, that they become these portals into a really profound place within myself. And you were, you were only able to tap into that you know, in the last three or four years of your life. Like, so most of your life, yeah. you weren't even connected to that. Yeah, I, I I really struggled with that. I was very disconnected from my physical body. I think more than I had any clue was actually the case. And I think a lot of women are actually very numb um, and don't know really, they don't have a reference point for anything else. Uh, and so I went through a pretty extensive sexual healing process before I met Benjamin, which helped me process and acknowledge and feel all of the numbness and all of the disconnection, which was really quite painful. It was a, a big grieving process in a way. Mm. Um, it was not fun by any means, but it was, it was needed. And so then I felt like I was sort of ready to call in like a real sexual awakening. And then Benjamin showed up and you can read in the book all about what Good happened timing. after that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let me ask you this. Have you guys had any, or can you describe any visceral spiritual experiences that you've connected to via sex? Mm. Does that make sense? <laughs> You're looking at each other like it makes sense. Yeah, we're just debating whether it's hard, it's, it's hard to share. put words to. Yeah. I mean, what is a spiritual experience? Maybe maybe define that first so that I, we can answer the question. I would say, but yes, the answer is I, I yes. don't know that I have great languaging around it, honestly. I, I think the way I would describe it is, is, um, is it, it's all about presence. And so um, I, I think at the core, you know, what is spirituality? What is it, what is it to, to feel connected to, to, to nature, to the universe? At the core, it's 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 a level of presence, and so if you can if you can taste your this bite of food, for example, like with with every ounce of your presence, that is spirituality at its core. If you can um, be that present with your lover, right? That that to me is that's what it is, and and so you can have sex, right, and be you know, and not be present 
and maybe maybe have a, a cardinal experience that maybe isn't that spiritual. But when you're tapped into the in your present in a in a really profound way, I think that's when you're tapping into to to the to 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 those sexual kind of connections. Yeah, I would say presence is like the tool that helps you go into what I would call a boundary dissolving state. So if if maybe that's the way to describe it for sexuality. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, like ego dissolution in some way. Yeah, where you merge to the point where you no longer feel the limitations, quote unquote, of your normal identity, your normal physical body. Like for me, when I'm in the most expanded states caused by a sexual experience, I'm like merged. I'm like in a white void of just all thingness and nothingness, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a very it is a it is a very spiritual state of consciousness. And it is it comes through presence. That's the access point. But presence then facilitates the boundary dissolving experience that allows you to expand beyond your normal waking state. Yeah, thank you for. I mean, it's a it's a really difficult phenomenon to put words on. I found mm-hmm. um, there's not much in the research literature about that. Interesting. That, that was a joke. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to say. Of course, there's not. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But even <laughs> have you looked at tantric literature and like? I've not gone in that direction. Okay, yet. I but think yeah, there's a right. lot there. There's probably a yeah, lot there. There's a, there's a really beautiful. Uh, it's not a book, but it's an audio um, kind of offering. Uh, from Mark Gaffney called um, the erotic and the holy. The erotic and the holy. It's re- it's really beautiful. He's a rabbi, mm-hmm. um, and he really connects um, eros that that sexual energy as being like the the epitome of connecting to spirit. Uh, and so it's really interesting, and it's it's written from a that kind of it's uh, it's, it's a lecture style book, yeah, yeah but definitely fascinating. fascinating. When it comes to this subject, if you're into this kind of thing, yeah, very worth listening to. And that's G A F N E Y Gaffney. G A F N I. N I. Yeah. Um. So let's go a little bit into that idea that the universe is benevolent and how that can help us kind of evolve or move forward or progress in the right direction with life. I mean, if you turn on the news, you know, you're going to get a lot of evidence that (laughs) the universe is not at all benevolent, um, that we live in a very violent, chaotic and difficult world. And uh, I think, you know, it's, it, you have to challenge this idea of what is safe and who's asking the question, because if I'm asking the question of what is safe as someone who hasn't faced off with death and made peace with death, then the answer is going to be very different. If you can embrace death as also being something that is actually safe in the long run, right? In the bigger picture, in the zoomed out lens of things, then your relationship to life can change. You can see the benevolence of life, even if death is involved from a more zoomed out perspective. I think that's the crucial differentiator. I think that's why so many people feel unsafe is because death is a taboo in our culture and we aren't taken through rites of passage or initiations where we have to confront our fear of death and really stare it dead in the face, which if you look at indigenous cultures, you know, across the world, you'll see that part of becoming a grown human involved facing off with your fear of death. There was Mm -hmm. some form of ritual or some form of initiation. Rites of passage. Rites of passage that were required 
Um, and so that, what does that do? Why is that important? It's, it liberates you. The part of you that's going to constantly try and protect yourself from death can be liberated when you realize that death is actually more of a transition into a new experience versus the ending of something. And so I think that's why having some form of relationship to the other realms, spirit realms, you know, the quantum, whatever you want to call it, is practically very helpful because it actually liberates you from a lot of the fears that might keep you shackled in your day-to-day life. Yeah, I think that's a really, really big crux of the issue in our current culture. Yeah, I think yeah, I would I just think, go ahead. I, I think sorry, I would just I was say gonna more. say. Uh, Hazria, sorry, that there's a great quote from J.R.R. Tolkien that I kind of hold near and dear to my heart, which is, it's from Gandalf. And he says, death isn't a door that closes, it's a door that opens. Mm-hmm. Mm, and beautiful. that always brings me comfort. Sorry, yeah, me, that's go ahead. Beautiful. No, I was just going to say that at the core, um, if you want to, a lot of times will be, people will be like, well, prove it to me, right? Like prove to me that the universe <laughs> is benevolent, prove this to me. And I guess what I would say is if you if you take out the spirituality from from it for a second it's at the core it's just a choice. Mm-hmm. You're choosing to believe something. And what I would say is the alternative to 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 believing that the universe is benevolent is a pretty shitty way to experience life. And so at the end um if it's just a choice and making this choice makes my life uh, a much more pleasant experience uh, then I then I'm going to choose that. And so if you take away all the 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 religion, the spirituality, all of it out of the equation, I mean, the alternative is pretty crappy. And so uh, I think it's just the obvious choice. And people that are in resistance, it's like for me, it's just hard to understand because it just makes life so much harder. Yeah, yeah, it's the self fulfilling prophecy too, right? I mean, where attention goes, energy flows. So if you if you continually affirm that life is safe, you'll probably start to experience more evidence for that to be true. If you, on the opposite side of the spectrum, firmly cling to your belief that life is against you, you'll probably experience more evidence of that. And I think, you know, at the core, you get to choose your experience. Well, and I think yeah. we got taken way off track because, you know, B, to your point, that prove it mentality is an over-identification with thought, I would argue. Mm-hmm. You know, I want empirical proof that God exists. I want empirical proof that death isn't that scary. Yeah. And, you know, to me, Rene Descartes really screwed us when he came up with the whole, I think, therefore I am, <laughs> separating mind and body. But I was a big subscriber to that back in my 20s yeah. because I was over-identified with thought. Yeah. And since then, I've been trying to reconnect the two in a big way. Yeah, Richard Rudd has his reframe on that is, I breathe, therefore I prosper. Beautiful. Which I think is such a nice way to re re invent and innovate Reframe, that yeah. concept. Yeah. <clears throat> so let me ask you this. I, I, our time is short and we have to wrap up. What would you like to say to people or what have I not asked you that I should have? Hmm. That's a good question. I've never been asked that that way. You stumped us. I think, <laughs> you know, I, think I didn't that, think that was possible. You know, our, our brand is called Becoming Spelled with a Q. And I think that, you know, at the core, the reason we use a Q, yeah, there's the book. There's um, the book. Thank you. Yeah. The, at the core, 
Um, we believe that this 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 path of personal transformation begins with asking essential questions, and then and then actually listening for the answers coming from the depth of your soul. And so, I guess I'd invite you know the audience is wherever you're at on your journey. The, the journey becomes really with asking really essential questions and then sitting with those. Um, and so I, I guess that's, that's the tidbit I would say is like, wherever you're at is just, just keep asking the questions and, and the paradox, like the, 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 the most existential question is, is who am I mm-hmm. and who's asking, who am I? Yeah. Uh, and, and at, at the core, it's all a, a big mystery, but it's, it's in asking the question that you, um, you go on this journey. Yeah, and I would add to that that you know we we you 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 spoke beautifully about being super identified with the mental plane, and I think even personal development there there's a real trap there where we can get so enamored with just getting more and more intellectual knowledge and more and more podcasts, more and more books, more and more you know just things that feel expansive in the moment to hear, but maybe aren't dropping down into the emotional and the somatic or the physical level. Um, And so I think what we need is less people who are educated when it comes to personal development and more people who are embodied in the work. And you, the only way to get embodied is to integrate the body into the, into the practice. And so that embodiment work ultimately is going to include some level of feeling difficult or challenging emotions and to not shy away from that because it's crucial to be willing to have the courage to feel those things so that the work can drop out of the head and down into the cells. Um, Because at the end of the day, we believe we're not just doing this work for ourselves. You know, even this concept of personal development, it's still about me and how I can be the best version of me. And it's a yes and. It has to start with the individual. But at the end of the day, we're not living in a vacuum. We exist in a collective. And our energetic signature, the way we show up in the world, our embodiment, affects every person and everyone and everything around us. And so the greatest gift we can give ourselves, our family, our community, and the planet right now is to to do our own inner work and then to share it, to share it, and to, to share what we've learned in service to others. Beautifully put. So let me ask you this in wrapping up, another wrapping up question, I suppose. Where can people find you? Where can they get a hold of you? Are you ready for people coming down to Mexico to visit you now? Mm-hmm. Um, we are currently, most of our offerings are digital. So you can find us at becoming.me with a Q. Uh, and so if you want to sign up there to receive some free tools, like you can easily do that. There's some online offerings that you can check out. And there'll be more information also on kind of in-person stuff that's happening as well. Yeah, we have a, an offering coming in January called Becoming Prosperous, which was really diving deep into the conversation around prosperity in all the ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we have a program called Becoming Allies, Becoming Stewards, which are designed for a few different archetypes. Um, and yeah, buy the book. You buy the book, read the book, get to really know us. That would be ideal yeah. as a starting point. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. I I greatly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Same. Thank you. Yeah. Um, And that is it for this episode of The Evolved Caveman. If you liked this episode, please make sure to like, rate, review, and share it with your friends. If you didn't like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. Thanks so much. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. 
For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting GuideToSelf.com. 